welcome one and all to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Bonjour, Pete. Shh. Free cloud keeps your secrets. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 105, Stardust City Rag, comes to you now via Molecular Solvent. And just a bit of fleet news before we launch into the episode. Pete, two goodies this week have to talk about the Twitter account Trekkie Tantrums, which is doing all the savage takedowns of closed-minded people who feel, oh no, they did a thing in Star Trek that goes against the fan fiction I wrote in the eighth grade. How dare they take my Star Trek away? And it's just, it's fun to watch Trekkie Trekkie Tantrums, uh, I, I don't know, do their thing. With truth, I have to admit, I'm a I'm a big fan, and uh, yeah, just highlighting that people who uh, attempt to criticize Discovery, Picard, that it's new Trek, that it's not Gene's Trek, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, that people have always had some issue with. Star Trek. This is not a new phenomenon and also need to probably get over it. You can like the thing that you like. You don't have to hate it. Uh, and also uh, saw a video in the last week or so done by Junk Ball Media that was a review of Star Trek Picard so far. Uh, I agreed with some of it, some of the stuff I didn't. Uh, and I actually uh, said uh, as much on Twitter to Junk Ball and got a reply from him saying, you know, hey, it's all about the conversation. You know, it, it we we always don't need to agree. And just a really cool, I mean, a brief conversation. But right there, it wasn't like, oh, well, you didn't like my video. It was just a very, a, a very pleasant uh, conversation about Star Trek, albeit a brief one on Twitter. So Pete, both Trekkie Tantrums and the Junk Ball Media video are linked in the podcast description. And uh, I think I speak for both of us when I say uh, our listeners should check them out. And it's about the dialogue. And speaking of no dialogue, Matt, as we wait with bated breath for word on when Star Trek Discovery Season 3 will begin to stream, some images leaked out, a couple banner images, one of uh, a long-haired Michael Burnham, uh, bearing a uh, tattered Federation flag, and then another one of the whole crew, including a really mysterious, possibly new non-binary character named Adira, uh, that we don't even have a uh, an actor cast for. And suddenly uh, on Twitter, uh, where those images were then shared, there were DMCA notices. These were takedowns issued by CBS All Access. So dialogue, sharing of things people are excited for, CBS All Access will have none of that. So Pete, just to recap, images out there to promote season three that that cbs had shared now it is removing from social media with copyright claims in order to prevent fans from talking about discovery season three <laughs> i i have to wonder like do they really fear brand confusion okay picard it's picard time right now we don't want these out there i really dug the images you get like a revolutionary war you know washington 
crossing the Delaware vibe from them. Uh, it was understated enough. This is not like CBS All Access themselves is tweeting them out and then taking them down from other sources. As far as I can uh, understand and glean, the original source was a CBS All Access survey. Somebody either sent a survey uh, for uh, viewers or this was the old exit survey that we've seen a couple times because uh, we don't subscribe when they don't have new Star Trek because what's the point? Um, but either way, uh, somebody said these have to come down and Twitter took them down or maybe it didn't because I've since seen them elsewhere. It just boggles the mind. I, I know Pete in the in the world of entertainment business news uh viacom cbs continues to talk about having uh having work on a successor to cbs all access uh I, it could well be built on the cbs all access uh infrastructure i hope not since it doesn't work on all web browsers which is insane in 2020 um it, it may still be called cbs all access i don't know i kind of suspect not i think because the i'm gonna the, recommend uh cbs some access <laughs> cbs some access indeed well we'll keep an eye on evil cbs access which ironically brings us great star trek but what do you say pete let's head into our mission briefing Piano music dots the deltas of planet Vergesen in the Hypathia system where the seven domes 13 years ago set the scene. A bloodied young man wearing a Starfleet command uniform looks around a medical facility and pants as a whirring device closes in on his left eye and a tech removes it and snips the attached wire. She scans his head with a device and asks him where his cortical node is. As she lowers a glowing drill to his temple, there is a thud. That you, Bejazel? No, no, it is Seven of Nine running and gunning to save the day. Uh, she's there to save the officer, revealed via dialogue to be Icheb, you know, from Voyager. Um, but... She can't save him, Pete. It's time for him to say goodbye. Nay, Pete, he wants to say goodbye now. She takes out her phaser pistol, emotion racking her face, and gives him the mercy kill that he wants. We get a wide shot, uh, establishing pretty clearly that this is some sort of Borg deconstruction factory. Uh, obviously, factory loosely, uh, loosely used here. Uh, the story moves to Stardust City on Free Cloud. Now, two weeks ago, a woman is playing Scott Joplin on the space piano, and uh, Bejazel is told that Bruce Maddox is there. Uh, Bejazel first says for Maddox to be killed, but wait, she's got a new plan. And uh, Pete, have to mention that uh, I think that William Werethys, the costume creator for the original series and uh, the early seasons of Next Generation, he of the Fleiss titillation theory, the idea that daring costumes can be all kinds of different daring ways. Uh, I think he would have approved of Bejazel's uh, costume here. Absolutely. Okay. And then we uh, head over with the new plan that Bejazel has uh, to Bruce Maddox, Matt, but not 
Brian Brophy, just like Manu Interemi, not in the previous scene, just like Savick, just like Christopher Pike, just like Catherine Janeway, just like Alexander Roshenko, just like Moogie, just like Rene Picard, just like Naomi Wildman, just like Damon Bach, just like Owen Paris, we could do this all day, Matt. The fact of the matter is, um, the gentleman who played Ichib, and I'm using that term loosely, not the name Ichib, um, he said some really disgusting things. He's been accused, harder to prove, of some really disgusting behavior at conventions towards women. So it may have played a role in the casting, recasting. It also may not have, and, you know, him, he doesn't look like Icheb did anymore. And, you know, I'm reminded of when they um, they took uh, Wesley and aged him up in a hunky way on uh, The Next Generation. And, of course, Will Wheaton looks nothing like the, the hunky way in which he was imagined to grow up. And, and that happens. Um Will Wheaton could play an older version of Wesley. We're, we're not going to find that other dude that, that played him that was gigantic. Um, but the one that they put in for Icheb really worked. The actor that is playing Bruce Maddox here with a beard, he's haggard, he's got the puffy eyes. It all worked. So if you're bent out of shape that Brian Brophy is not playing, not reprising Matt, a character he played for one guest starring episode in what, 1988, then really you're bent out of shape for nothing. Back we go to Maddox 2.0, Pete, or just Maddox. Bejazel hands him a drink, gives him some Tranya. He recaps that his lab was destroyed. He apologizes. It was all gone. It was the Tal Shiar. He's not going to be able to repay her loan. And Pete, that's when he starts to gag on the poison Tranya, which she had put to her lips but did not drink. Yes, I like the misdirect here. We immediately assume it's it's death. It's just pass out Tranya, though. It's not kill you, Tranya. And that Tal Shiar, making a deal with them, it's always such a pain in the butt as we go to the title card. After the credits, uh, we get the notion of Free Cloud recapped by a Free Cloud promotional video. It's a place of gambling and financial services. Think Monte Carlo meets Switzerland. Um, this is done in the setting of Picard's hollow office. Uh, hollow study, I guess, would be better. Seven is at the door. She orders a bourbon straight up. She assumed that Picard was on a diplomatic mission to save the galaxy, although it turns out Pete, he's just trying to save someone, although he may be on a diplomatic mission to save the galaxy, too. She drains that bourbon there. This is a different seven, yet it is in line with the trajectory of the seven we left off with. So it all really works. And, and Jerry Ryan's reprisal of the role here, much has been said, written that, oh, she had a hard time finding the voice. Uh, it's not Gene's track. Gene not alive ever during the conception or the delivering of uh, Voyager, but it's in line with the character and it all works. Uh, she is a Fenris Ranger, something I did not float as a theory last week since we had had that 
uh, notion out there. I like that they've connected it here. She's not a vigilante, uh, but they take the law into her own hands in this discussion with Picard here. He's trying to help somebody who can't help herself. Hey, just like the Fenris Rangers do, it's hopeless, it's pointless, it's exhausting, but the only thing worse would be giving up. And knowing what we know because of the flashback at the beginning of the episode and the loss of Icheb, who she twice in this episode refers to as family, child early on, and kin later on, uh, all sets up later for the story. Oh, and uh, Picard, you're going to Free Cloud? I guess that's cool. I can maybe go to Free Cloud. I don't know anybody who's there, says, <laughs> says, says Seven, perhaps not literally. Uh, on the bridge, Rafi is studying up for the mission. Indeed, Pete, uh, we get what could be uh, set aside as a, a minor detail, but later it's the, you know, she's, she's Google searching uh, who will be revealed uh, as her son. But uh, we have Rios wondering what Seven and Picard are up to. Uh, we are reminded, perhaps Rios is reminded, that they're both former Borg. You know, Seven is the ex-Borg Fenris Ranger from the Delta Quadrant. Pete, here's my pitch for a new CBS All Access show. Maybe maybe you don't do 13 episodes or 10. Maybe you do six. Maybe you do some shorts. Uh, it's called Seven, the ex-Borg Fenris Ranger from the Delta Quadrant. If you don't <laughs> like that as a title, that's my log line. Uh, funny Rios had blocked out that Picard was former Borg. Huh. More on that little point later. If nothing else, Pete, it is meant to just be a reminder for everybody. I think most people would not have forgotten Best of Both Worlds Parts 1 and 2, but I don't know how much time we spend thinking of Picard as former Borg versus uh, there was a fantastic adventure and it got solved in the end. Strange cargo this time indeed, Raffi. Gerardi watches a holographic home movie of her laughing at Bruce, Bruce Maddox, who's replicated all the ingredients of chocolate chip cookies and then set them on fire in his oven. Oh, quaint 24th century people who don't know about the cooking. Kind of reminds me about Miles Edward O'Brien's mom, who used to actually cook meat, real meat that she would touch with her hands. Oof. Uh, but Pete, this isn't just two co-workers making cookies together, okay? Gerardi uh, turns the camera to selfie mode as uh, her and Maddox have some kissy time on the video. Gerardi, uh, in the present time, in her quarters, watching this hollow vid, wipes away a tear. Pete, we're meant to think that that's just a, a sentimental tear, but we know, of course, having seen the episode, that danger lurks beneath. All aboard the finally named La Serena in dialogue here. Free cloud orbital control confirms transfer of the con. Pete, welcome to the terrible future, since we're not in a core Federation world, you know, where you get personalized ads because they track your web browsing with cookies and everybody there, well, most everybody there gets their personalized ads uh, chief among them being Gerardi, who has to punch away her ad. It's interactive. Uh, and once that's gone, you know, because she's told by Rios she has to punch away the hollow ad, she kind of playfully, playfully jabs at Rios, too, uh, because they know I ship uh, Gerios <laughs> or Rarati or whatever ship name we're going to give it. 
Yeah, and there's exposition here, effortlessly done. Uh, Captain Rios, welcomed by the Red Bolian, hashtag not Gene's track, uh, that can see that the uh, power on his Kaplan F-17 speed freighter, that's the now-named La Serena, uh, is only at 91% efficiency. Of course, he can fix that. Picard, of, of course, has to get proposition for afternoon high tea at the Free Cloud Grand Hotel. And you mentioned before the Free Cloud Institute of Entertainment Robotics, punched by Gerardi, who, of course, is never going to get physical by the end of this episode. Uh, played for laughs in this slightly lighter episode, the dismemberment of an eyeball uh, notwithstanding, uh, is the fact that um, Elnor doesn't have an ad. Um, Elnor is not given a lot in this episode, and they turn lemons into lemonade by just having him occasionally be out of sync with everyone else and it's inspired it's an inspired use of the character who essentially is just there to be muscle that's not used it's it's great raffi is uh propositioned by a hologram that asks her if she wants to get snake bit this is a reference to the snake leaf we've seen her smoke before feely's venom garden where she could pick her poison and the Hologram has a hookah. He's wearing tie-dye clothing and has the old John Lennon shades. It's it's subtle, yet at the same time, it's in your face and it works. Pete, advertising time over. Rafi's found info on Maddox, but he's in deep. The Bejazel party needs an intermediary to get Maddox to the Tal Shiar, and Rafi has inserted herself uh, in the go-between status, not literally herself, but that's 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 where she's working on the computer. Uh, Bejazel has also got a beta Anari. That's your sentient reptiloid. And uh, Picard wants to keep this episode on track, Pete. This is a fun little side diversion. This is Star Trek Picard's The Big Goodbye, where we put on costumes and have fun. But Picard reminds us that Maddox will lead them to Soji, because that's the overall season arc. However, Pete, the crew is out of luck. How are they going to possibly get Bejazel's attention here? They're going to do it with Seven. Uh, she knows Bejazel. Him? No. Her? She? Butcher's ex-Borg. So we're now catching up our characters to what we already know. High on the Fenris Rangers wanted list for years. Jurati. Uh, uh, posits they could outbid the Tal Shiar. There's that money again, Matt, uh, which uh, it's okay that they can use it in your Star Trek and it doesn't destroy all of your Star Trek ever. Uh, some people use it. There are mercenaries. Others don't. It's okay. I don't know, Pete. I'm pretty sure that Star Trek... I've seen every Star Trek episode and I'm pretty sure that no Star Trek ever referenced money before uh, except for Deep Space Nine. Or the original series. Ah, crumb. Uh, anyhow, Pete, take us back to Stardust City. So it's going to take a substantial deal here. Um, they're going to need to instead extract him. And the security that it shows Bejazel has is nothing short of a private little army of contractors you mentioned before the sentient reptiloid beta anari nasty pieces of work as rios points out 
Um, but we must find Dodge's sister, okay? We've, we've said it here. We need Maddox to do that. We're connecting the dots. So, of course, they're going to trade the most irresistible thing, seven of nine. Descending into Stardust City here, we see holograms aplenty, including callouts for Mr. Mott's Hair Emporium and Quark's Bar, uh, as well as Dabo Tables. Enter our EPH, Matt. That's right. Our emergency pimp hologram, Rios. Uh dressed as what one in the 24th century would call a facer um or uh el nor with his delightful australian accent would call a face (laughs) um interesting for the next several minutes of show here we have the mission launching as well as intercut uh earlier with the prep for the mission i always wonder was it scripted like that did they find that the prep scene was a little slow and the rios though magnetic uh you know kind of ordering the tembi lagoon in a little bit that that was a little slow so you intercut them for more oomph i don't know but um we have uh agnes among other things pete in the mission prep we have agnes liking how rios looks thanks joe for shipping with me um, Rios is reminded he's got to cheer up, be less of the existential crisis guy, and be flamboyant for his meeting with Mr. Vup. Fantastic character name. Uh, and Seven suggests a feather in the hat. Uh, and the show leans into it because they give him a feather in the hat. Pete, take us to the club. This existential, broody, spaceman routine that Raffi mentions, I wonder, could it be a subroutine? <laughs> Um, more on that theory when we get to the theory segment, because I think there's stuff for and stuff against. But in the bar, Pete, he's bopping to the music. He's doing his best charismatic, uh, I don't know, offering here. He orders that Tembi Lagoon. Uh, two umbrellas. Uh, wants a gaming tablet. Oh, and tell Mr. Vup I'm here. He, of course, is told by the barman. Mr. Vup knows that he's already there. And then, uh, there's a lizard man who can smell fear. And meals and Pete sexy times. Your last Padamore. If they're not the same thing, if you're not eating or having relations with the thing that you're eating, I thought that was a, a nice touch. Um, Mr. Vup points out that uh, Rios's uh, references, including Mr. Quark of Ferenginar and the trouble with the brain. Pete, what can people not like about this episode, perhaps aside from the vicious violence in the beginning, which I have mixed feelings on, so much fan service, but done in a casual way. You know, it's not just a Tranya call out. It's useful to the plot. Uh, it makes sense that in this gray uh, corner of the galaxy, gray in terms of legality, that, of course, the mighty Mr. Quark's name would be brought up. Uh, it's the episode where we're finally getting the Bruce Maddox payoff after teasing him for all these episodes, etc., etc., etc. We get run and gun fun, costume play, characters playing characters. I mean, this this is a fun, great. This is the best episode of Star Trek Picard yet. I stand by that statement. Has um, Rios done a deal with the Tal Shiar before? Well, he tries to stay out of their way. Why represent them now? No, no. 
Mr. Vup. He's there on behalf of another buyer for Maddox. And the uh, Beta Nari pulls a phaser on him, doesn't like surprises, doesn't want to renege on a deal with the Romulan secret police in case you don't infinitely know, intimately know who the Tal Shiar are. That's what you call, again, your effortless exposition. And the disclosure that a Beta Inari has 1,253 olfactory receptogens to smell that truth there. Cross-cut with Rafi explaining she's going to have that injection that Gerardi just gave him with her home cooking of beta blockers and all these other things that are going to kick in and suddenly the truth is not as easy to smell. Rios also looking a little hypno high there, but it does kick in. Uh, he's able to convincingly tell an untruth uh, and shows Vup the hollow of a living former Borg with a ton of parts, lots and lots of Borg parts in there. And Vup is very interested. Chronologically, we go back to mission prep where it's revealed that Picard is an evil Frenchman uh, with scar on one cheek and a beret and an eye patch. Elnor is uh, just himself, just Elnor. Don't talk, Elnor. Just be quiet, Elnor. Shut up, Elnor. Uh, and um, we also get Seven in mission prep being cuffed, being told how she can get out of the cuffs. And uh, she just wants to keep order in this region of space, Pete. She's going to have the transporter pattern enhancer, you know, for after she gets through the shields, through the window that Rios has just asked for in the future part of this crosscut. Once inside the shields, won't be able to differentiate it from her implants uh, with the binders on there. She explains that after the evacuation ended, the neutral zone collapsed. Somebody had to maintain that semblance of order. It's a habit for her. Rafi admires her, and she also understands a little bit about habits. They're going to get Maddox. They're going to activate the enhancer. The doc is going to beam them all out. It's all going to work perfectly, um, except Elnor knows it's a lie. Everybody gets the lie but him, and now we're full on in the meeting. Indeed we are. Seven's hood comes off and French batty Picard sneers at what an abomination she is. Disgusting all those, thing. All those parts in there since she was a jeune fille, in case the guy who was offered high tea at the beginning of the episode isn't, uh, you know, if we're not reminded that he's super French. Um, but before there's any deal, Picard must see Maddox. Or they'll take the trade elsewhere. I hope you're not squeamish, Mr. Vip. Uh, they need to see that he's alive. And we cut from this to the uh, Stardust City Medical District, where uh, Rafi goes to see Gabriel Huang. And again, cross-cut here with the... Um, scene of Picard sending her down there. She tells him to stick to the script, watch the kid, uh, watch your back. He acknowledges it's going to be harder without her was almost like the old days for a minute. And the Picard theme from this show 
swelling in the background. Hope you find what you came out here for. Hey, wish that for you too. And beams her down where she just is happening to cross paths with Gabe, revealed, of course, to be her son here. She's clean. She's there for him now. And her little grand. Pete, I think it's going to be a grand daughter, grand girl. Um, what I love about this scene is the fact that they they give Gabriel the earned story justice, even though we've just met Gabriel, where he just has this casual emotional wall that denotes all the emotions coming from an abandoned son uh, and those emotions coming courtesy of a troubled mother. Um, he still doesn't believe that she's changed, uh, particularly as... He mentions her belief in false flags, crackpot theories, and she says, no, it is no crackpot theory. Um, and I, I don't know. I think it was a great character moment in kind of a slightly more silly run and gun dress em up episode to have this to have this meeting here and to have Gabe underline when uh, Rafi meets Pell, you know, no, my mom's not staying. And it's just it's clear on everyone's faces that they know the tension and that they know she's not invited and she knows she's not invited. So son and daughter-in-law walk off leaving Rafi broken. Do we know that they're married? I mean, we can make that assumption. Um, but mother Raffaella here just passing through doesn't get the joyful reunion she had hoped for. So back to Bejazel and Mr. Vip. Uh, with Seven's hardware that Vop details, no doubt, sniffing it all out. And Bejazel hoped that could be Annika. So, Pete, I know we had discussed a little bit last week how some people were upset that the show called her Seven, uh, despite the fact that's what the previous series always called her. Uh, got a tweet midweek kind of, I think it was gently chastising me, saying, um, you know, essentially that these are characters and they can choose which name to go by. Uh, I think they were meaning to make a connection to kind of, um, you know, choosing one's identity or orientation or accepting who they are. And while the latter is true, the former, you know, Seven slash Annika, is not a real person and needs to... Things need to be made clear in this pretend story. So why was she called Seven, Seven of Nine? Um, pardon me, I guess it was just Seven of Nine at the end of last episode. It was just to make totally clear that she was Seven of Nine, even though Pete, Jerry Ryan has not aged much since the age of, uh, or since the end of Voyager and looks fantastic and looks like as she was in the past and all that. But she got called Seven of Nine because that's what the story demanded. Also, it turns out that this notion of her exploring a slightly more uh, relaxed side to herself or maybe a different side in terms of her orientation uh, as Annika, that they were actually saving that for this episode. Yeah. And it, it's all a tidy job that we know her as Seven of Nine, the crew knows her as Seven of Nine, but Bejazel knew her more intimately as Annika. It all works. Uh, what's not working is Dr. Gerardi in a mini freak out here that triggers the EMH wants to know the nature of her psychiatric emergency. No, she doesn't need a sedative 
And as Rios is contacting her to tell her that something's not going right in the meeting, they haven't activated the pattern enhancer yet, she deactivates the EMH. And let me point out, though, Pete, it, it, it's played off, as you said, that she's having a mini freakout. But on second view, we can understand okay. that this is actually this, you know, this is a psychological crisis that's going on because, you know, what she's going to do at the end of the episode is now, you know, a, a one, two, three step away from happening in terms of uh, Maddox is just down at the bottom of the planet and assuming the plan works just fine. And obviously it's going to have some twists and turns, but for her role in it. They do tic-tac-toe, one, two, three. He gets beamed up, and now she has to do this terrible thing. Of course, Annika is angry that Bejazel, or Jay, as their relationship uh, had their familiarity, uh, carved up her little friend, and uh, they had trusted one another, uh, but she got away, and she lost her fortune on the Borg tech there, just like she lost her and suddenly the binders are off and weapons are dropped. Yes. That of course, because, uh, seven is choking out Bejazel. Uh, Picard lifts the eye patch uh, for, for my purposes, lifted it a little prematurely. I know the story kind of needs to get moving here, but the fact that he so quickly abandons the French bad guy character, uh, it's a choice Picard makes as a real person and not as a fictional character because apparently we're supposed to treat these people like real people all the time and never acting at the service of the story. Um, but he says, finally, everyone has stopped pretending. Um, Maddox is all right, says P -P Picard, which is an opportunity for everyone to now know that this is the famous Admiral Picard. Uh, Bejazel reveals that she and Seven had a close personal relationship. Pete, perhaps meant to... Uh, make inadequate people online feel terrible that they never could have thought that seven could have loved anyone, uh, but them individually. Um, by which I mean the angry people on Twitter. Um, or Chakoti in a, uh, flash forward that, yeah. uh, never happened. <laughs> that too. Uh, Picard now sees this as a settling of an old score. And, uh, we get the line that, uh, Picard thought he was doing the playing, but he has turned around to be played. Yeah, and the recap from uh, Seven that uh, she had been based on Fenris, this young science officer on leave from the USS Coleman was doing recon um, near Diamanta, uh, and there was a distress call ambush, the closest thing she ever had to Kin, and Icheb to her was parts just good business extracted from him without anesthetic nor mercy um and the betrayal that went on and picard like you said trying to help her see her humanity and not this need for vengeance and don't squander that uh but as vup prepares with a phaser Rios instead vaporizes him and they're ready to go. I could have done without Seven's recap. I understand her motivations and her character direction and the Icheb stuff, etc. Uh, maybe it's meant to then deliver on a silver platter. You know, Picard saying murder is not revenge. Um, 
I think we just could have had her, you know, I think we could have had Picard saying this is an old score, but seven murder is not revenge. All right. You want to make it totally clear to the audience, all the, all the ducks in a row. So be it. Um, there is, however, this notion put forth by Rios that they all could get a clean getaway if, uh, murder slash revenge is not, uh, is not done here. Uh, if, if seven does not kill, uh, Bejazel, uh, that would prevent Picard and Maddox and Rios and everybody from having a bounty on their heads, uh, which indeed gives seven enough of an opportunity to pause the pattern enhancer activated and the five beam up, including the very frail Maddox who is falling as he gets beamed up and falls to the transporter floor. Uh, helped by Dr. Gerardi. The Fenris Rangers are sending a Corsair for uh, Seven. She's going to take two phasers here. She also hands a chip, maybe a later in the season chip, Matt, in case Picard ever needs a vigilante. Um, she asks if he ever felt that he completely regained his humanity after having been a member of the collective course he says no they're both working on it she every damn day of her life and then full credit here to uh musician jeff russo chill inducing use of the voyager theme as she beams in says hi to uh bejazel and then we get these emergency beam outs, which we've never really seen before. It was kind of cool in the middle of panic uh, as she's there to finally settle that score. Picard still thinks there's a place in the galaxy for mercy, for hope, but she doesn't because Bejazel took that away. Uh, Bejazel also kind of monologuing about the Annika of old. Hey, Jay, you're stalling because the second wave of security is coming in five seconds. It actually ends up not being exactly five seconds, which bothered me slightly, but it's okay. I'm going to be flexible. This is for Echeb and seven blasts Bejazel away. Pete, that's what the phaser set to kill. So we get the, the you know, melty effect. Um, the security arrives and uh, seven just starts blasting at them, confident just the way the camera is framed, we don't even need to see her shots hitting. We just know it's going to be okay for Seven of Nine. We hopefully get her back and, and find out that she's okay there. Um, in Sick Bay, Maddox feels that Dodge must be dead if they're having this conversation here. The embedded mom AI wouldn't have activated her unless. She was in danger. Uh, Gerardi is hearing this stuff from the other side of the room about the sister now named for the others as Soji. She's on the artifact. Wait, the captured Borg cube? That same artifact, the one in Romulan space, which is going to double uh, Rios's fees in a little bit, um, that... She is on that artifact for the same reason that uh, Maddox sent her sister Dodge to find the truth. This scene is so wonderfully uh, shot for us by Jonathan Frakes, the, the episode director, because 
the purpose of it is the information dump from Maddox to Gerardi, but we need to make it clear that he's not spilling his guts to her because he's talking to Picard. Much of this information, it's stuff that we know, but it's kind of checking off like, oh, the the mom is a mom AI, and you know the the cube is in Romulan space. So there's some new information or some new confirmation there, uh, as well as this notion of the Romulan Federation conspiracy. Um, all of it meant to be overheard by Gerardi. Uh, and indeed, she cuts the conversation short uh, because supposedly Bruce needs to rest. Uh, on the bridge, um, we get, as you mentioned, Pete, Rios headed, you know, uh, this notion that he's he's prepared to go to Romulan space. He's game, hefe. Uh, but that's not the only information we get from Rios, is it, Pete? There's a stowaway and wonderfully undersold here. We're referring to Rafi. Picard is then outside a door um, where she tells him to go away. Welcome back. Back we go to sick bay where Maddox is happy to see Aggie. If only she could have seen Dodge. They did it soon. And Maddox and Gerardi, uh, which is, I think the first time that we've had that notion of those three having, uh, some role in the present state of uh, of Dodge and Soji. Gerardi here, overcome with sadness. It's one more thing she has to atone for. Uh, Peachy presses buttons and Maddox starts to worsen. The EMH says that there's a psychological emergency. Pete, what's going on? Then there's a medical emergency of Bruce Maddox, his injuries here, and uh, old Aggie is not here to care for him instead to kill him she wishes she didn't know what she had to do she wishes they hadn't shown her shown her what matt we don't know pete we don't yet know with that maddox dies to end the episode Pete, our threat analysis sensor is going crazy, particularly with how that episode ended. But let's go back to the beginning. Let's talk about the threat of Bejazel. An actress that a lot of people pointed out could really be mistaken for a, a younger Deanna Troy, Marina Sirtis here. Uh, Bejazel brings just enough beauty and menace. Not a hugely uh, fleshed out, pun intended, character but okay she had this uh relationship with seven she betrayed her it was to get borg parts now she wants seven Borg parts after having uh you know butchered Icheb, among others that uh seven feels some form of kinship for as uh freed uh from the collective add to that the uh i would say unfortunately timeless notion of uh bejazel being you know more interested in good business than the human factor obviously human on our end she's dealing with some aliens but you know kind of the 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 personal factor versus just making money and yeah pete maybe a two and a half dimensional character but i think one that's very believably presented in mr vup we meet a beta anari and the background of what they are and he fulfills his place in this episode he's the muscle and he gets it through the neck and that's the end of him 
yeah, super fun, one and done character. Um, great makeup. I love that the kind of harshness of the makeup is contrasted by a kind of modern reinterpretation of a 30s, 40s, 50s double-breasted suit. Uh, I believe there's some pinstriping in there as well. Uh, I also love not just the way the actor is enunciating the words, but then whatever sound filter they've put it through to sound it more alien. It's everything you could want with a one-episode henchman, alien, strongman. And then in old Aggie here, Matt, it's the villain we did not suspect, at least when you think about how they've kind of foreshadowed Gerardi is more than meets the eye. Yeah, uh, I think the fingerprints are clear or more clear on second viewing, uh, particularly the uh, that first appearance of the uh, the psychological uh, hologram there. Um, factor in the, the quote unquote loose thread from a couple episodes ago, where you know O has something to tell Gerardi, and then we haven't touched it since. Well, now we know why uh, that's been setting up this. I suppose, terrible revelation that she's had. I think it's also given us an opportunity to look at the character with new eyes, you know, kind of this wide-eyed, whoa, I'm in space, man. Hey, everything's great. You know, turns out she's a stone-cold killer in a way that none of these other characters are, seven included. Um, it's, it's, It's a great twist to have halfway through this season. And like you said before, I appreciate how Allison Pill is able to deliver the the freaking out earlier in the episode and you watch it a second time and you know why she's experiencing this. I think it's aided by the uh, emergency psychiatric hologram, uh, also the EMH showing up at those two times, picking up on how this is difficult for her to do because she's been either programmed or there's some other motivation we're unaware of at this point. Pete, on the long-range sensors, many theories coming in. Let's stick with Dr. Agnes Gerardi here. Uh, has she been turned by O, psychologically programmed, mechanically programmed? What is the terrible secret that was shared, and is the secret true? Give me all the answers now, Pete. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. As spoiler, Pete, I actually know the answer. Um, it is floating around out there. So I'm going to defer to you on this one. Well, all right then. I will. I, I will speak back into the void. I will say this mechanically turned programmed by O, I will vote no for that. Um, I can only, I can only imagine that the terrible secret again with five episodes left, it it can't be that terribly convoluted. Um, Perhaps it's just, uh, I think it, it, it will tie back to this central concern about these synths. Uh, I, continue also to think that it's going to be revealed that O is a Romulan. So I think the notion that the notion that the calm, intelligent, just hanging out, doing my thing, Dr. Gerardi has been turned by, you know, fake news and a conspiracy from powers uh, outside the country, I mean, Federation, to cause trouble or to advance the concerns of those outside the group and not inside 
to me, there's your kind of timeliness. There's your social commentary. I think that we're still on that trajectory. We will have to see. The furthest out we can go with a theory here, Matt, actually begins in the previously on segment and the way it is edited. Uh, Tell me more, because despite the fact that CBS All Access lacks a button to skip past that and lacks a button to skip past the credits uh, on both watches, I didn't watch either the previously on nor the credits. So uh, Chris Rios He's just an EMH. Just is said in the dialogue uh, between him and the emergency medical hologram. So uh, are they hiding this now in plain sight? Yes, we finally had Rios leave the ship. That's definitive proof of him not being a hologram, right? Because Seven of Nine never, ever knew a character was a hologram that uh, could leave the ship. <laughs> well, certainly I felt my Rios as a hologram theory. Uh, first, I thought that it was affirmed by this notion of a mobile emitter, which of course you know goes back to season two of Voyager. Uh, then Pete, the question, how would a hollow Rios survive the Stardust City security scan, if that's not enough alliteration there? Um, I think you could say uh, he's not a hologram because he survived the security scan, or you could say it's such advanced programming that it was able to fool the scanner. Both answers are possible. Pete, where's my beloved theory up to? I, I think it's still there. Uh, he's scanned right before he passes a character with holographic wings. I, I think, again, they're, they're hiding this in plain sight. Time's going to tell on that one. The Fenris Rangers, name-checked for the first time in the previous episode, now the revelation that Seven is one. And I really liked your idea earlier that, you know, we get Seven of Nine, Texas Ranger, Fenris Ranger at some point. Uh, maybe uh, Chuck Norris is available as the head of the Fenris Rangers. We get him in there, CBS All Access. But uh, the chip delivered to Picard, Seven of Nine is back. You don't just bring her back for two episodes, right? I can only imagine that she'll be back in the second half of this season. I mean, the chip could be held for season two. They were probably high on the prospects of a second season, particularly while filming this, you know, the midpoint of season one. Um, But we've, we've had in Discovery, we've had, you know, characters that, you know, leave or or are gone for a few episodes i think of reno for example like wait what happened to reno and then two episodes later she's like yeah i've been hanging out in the other thing the story didn't need me now i'm here you know so i think similarly it's like you know if you need this call how can we call with a signal and you send up the seven of nine signal into the sky and you know and she'll come that sort of thing i i do hope it's this season um she was so great in this and me as somebody who Voyager is probably my least favorite of the Star Trek iterations. Uh, but she was so great in this. And then you add some of the fan service stuff to it. And I love me original discovery that's going in truly new places and might have a, 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 a triple trill here or something like that. But this episode was just so much fun. And this was essentially a seven of nine episode 
co-starring the cast of Star Trek Picard, not with her as the guest star, if you will. I think for me, the previous episode, uh, Absolute Candor, was a little bit better in terms of quality. I was really worried with the preview of this episode and the the tone of the preview and no worries upon watching it. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, with Gabriel Huang appearing here, he, of course, the son of Raffaella. Uh, we still haven't had her last name said, though, as a character. Uh, I believe the pronunciation is Musaker. Um, small qualm, but uh, interesting that that's still not come to pass. Certainly, I... Pete, I don't want to be a Star Trek gatekeeper and say that this is what counts and this is what doesn't, but it is a basic rule of Star Trek that things need to be said or shown on screen to be completely official, which is why I stand by... Dr. Zimmerman? There you go. Like, I stand by our previous podcasts where, you know, we're saying the unnamed La Serena, and then in this episode they finally name it. That's not to say that when it got mentioned at Comic-Con or whatever it might be, or the fact that Star Trek.com referenced the ship's name, that that's not worthless. But it's just like the, the Star Trek rule. Until Alex Kurtzman comes out and says, hey, we're now also counting as totally top canon, and probably he wants to avoid the whole Star Wars level G, level H, level Z22 stuff that, that, that made Star Wars canon be a bit unwieldy. Um, it, Short of somebody saying, you know, no, this officially accounts, uh, or, or counts rather, not accounts, uh, just keep it on screen. So same thing with Rafi's last name. I know it's out there. I know it's been said at panels and whatnot, but, you know, Pete, we're going to say the as of yet unofficially last named Rafi Musaker. Much was made when the Picard writer's room was convened. Michael Chabon, now the showrunner. Uh, who's since left for season two, so he can go develop uh, a pilot taking a series of his project, and we're going to get the new showrunner. We already have a new showrunner for season two of the state of the universe. And he had tweeted out, I think he Instagrammed out the photo. They had uh, mapped it all out, and we're told in this episode that the Romulan neutral zone has collapsed. And to me, that's a very sensible, um, almost ridiculously sensible uh, conclusion or, or, or logical result of you know the whole the whole uh, falling apart of the Romulan Star Empire. I hadn't quite thought of it in those terms, but of course, if there is this you know humanitarian push to rescue these people, and now just the Romulans have so much less power militarily. There's less need of a neutral zone. All of it makes sense. All of it tracks. Um, and I think that it's a really thoughtful... It, it, it's a thoughtful expression of how how geopolitically things have evolved. Rafi's son is at this reproductive services facility in Stardust City. And then he's having a baby with a Romulan. I thought that was a really interesting choice. Is there an AI component to this? Is it a way to bring the son back later in the story vis-a-vis Rafi's journey? I felt that though this Rafi scene 
was earned by the character and the choices that she's made. I don't know that it was earned for this episode, which is to say, tonally, it was a bit different than it everything did else. Feel off, yeah. Uh, I, I think that maybe what happened in the plotting of the season was Raffi has stayed away because she's burned bridges in her professional life or, or got fired or got drummed out or whatever you know professionally the bridges have been burned personally the bridges have been burned uh and here she is living you know living this this modest existence uh pete if only we could all live in a really cool space trailer in a you know fantastic looking park in los angeles county but i digress she's burned all these bridges and no picard i won't help you all right maybe i'll help you a little bit oh you're headed to the place where my son is but we're not going to say it's the place where my son is. Well, I need a reason to go there. All right, it turns out it's the place where my son is. This was like time to pay the piper, time to give her payoff for why she has helped, why she has come along, and give her trajectory for why she's going to stay on La Serena, even though she has said she doesn't want to. So I think with all of that story pressure, you needed this scene. The scene itself, very well earned, very well acted, uh, very well nuanced. But in terms of the overall story, I think it was here because they needed an excuse to get her to to free cloud and an excuse to get her back on the ship. But her son is with a Romulan and we never know how far the tentacles of the Tal Shiar, the now Jat Vash addition to the Romulan mythos. And uh, he knows about the conclave of eight, which means presumably she does if she's possibly connected to this larger conspiracy. It, it It is worth thinking through, as you have done, this idea that of all the expectant mothers that could have come out of the, the exam area, uh, the show has consciously chosen for it to be a Romulan. Do we read that as just a one scene, one and done? This is a, a rebuccation of his uh, mother's views, uh, are we setting up a larger conspiracy for the future? I feel that it's more the former, like, hey, mom, I so not believe your theories that I can I can love a Romulan and I can have a child with a Romulan woman. That's how I'm taking it now. But, you know, does he come back at the end of next episode saying, ha, I'm part of the conspiracy, too? Hopefully they do a better version than I just came up with. But I, I would I would believe that if they presented it as such. Snake Leaf sneaks back into this episode. Rafi goes down to Stardust City. She has this unfortunate incident with her son and the lack of the reunion. We don't see her afterward. Is a relapse occurring behind that door that Picard can't see? Maybe. Uh, you know, to me, as always, I'm interested in what's going on inside the story and what's going on outside the story. So does this get scripted, written, shot, edited because we're late in the episode and we just need to say, hey, we, the audience, know Rafi failed. She's back. See you on next week's adventure. That's what the story needs. Um, if we had wanted to set up, and now the room's a mess because she's she's relapsed. I mean, we could, in theory, have had that scene. Um was a scene like that written, shot, and not used because that's not the direction of this episode? Eh, maybe. Um, I kind of just suspect that it's, we need to get Rafi back on board and glued to this family because now there really is no other family in her life. 
glued to our family, Matt, are the contributors to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and the way they keep our La Serena going here on a Saturday morning, putting together your Picard podcast. Yes, Pete. So privileged to have people join our crew by going to patreon.com slash fantastic geek, helping us you know, deal with all the ads. Pete, when we want to raise our podcast ship efficiency from 91% uh, because it's being uh, pulled down to that low efficiency level because one of us is a hologram, it's because of the people who help support us on Patreon. So they have our thanks. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. All it takes is a dollar to get you past that sh- door sh- and a uh, mere quarter a week. Can't contribute this month. Head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, takes seconds, leave us a review, takes just a little bit longer, and helps us equally. With that, Pete, let's go to Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We start with our Twitter poll, uh, in which people voted as follows. Pete, one star, not my Manu, got 6.1%. Two stars, lights, my eyes. Pete, sometimes there was lights in the camera. That got 6.1%. Three stars, Z good time, French flag, uh, 38.8%. And then four stars, the best yet, because that's how I felt, Pete. Got 49%, little less enthusiasm in the 3-4 split this uh, this week, but certainly top marks all the way around. Uh, some tweets here. Uh, first one from JT Atkins, who says, uh, this is O's fault. On a lighter note, uh, love the way Seven lapsed back into her former Seven voice when talking to Picard about gaining their humanity back. Great job at Jerry L. Ryan. We look forward to Picard needing a mercenary sometime soon. Pete, you'll never guess who favorited that tweet. (laughs) Jerry Jerry Ryan. (laughs) Jerry Ryan, for the briefest of moments, had Fantastic Geek in her mind. Uh, I hope it's Jerry Ryan and not some assistant who's in charge of social media. Um jt's tweet was replied to by annie harrington who we're gonna we're gonna hear from a bunch of these tweets here she said i know it was so rad especially after hearing how tense jerry ryan felt about doing seven in this new way i'm blown away by how much she nailed it uh and one more comment here from uh, jt amazing episode but to paraphrase agnes i wish i knew what she knows i wish i didn't know what i know i wish they hadn't shown me the last two minutes until next week. I'm so sorry it isn't Thursday yet again. I mean, I just so look forward. I, I sit on Wednesday night saying, okay, how early can I go to sleep so that I can wake up early to watch this show? Similarly, but somewhat differently, I intentionally watch the show. I save the show for when I get home. I don't know how and- you do it. I don't know how you do it. I could not go about my day before watching it pete i'll tell you this the 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 bumps in the road during the day i'm kept aloft by knowing that i'm just going to get nailed with a a fantastic card episode a couple more tweets here one from andre yeager that's at dr polo 1983 now i need to know what the federation told aggie i wish i could binge but glad i can't pete right there andre capturing in a nutshell the whole binge versus weekly debate Yes, we wish we could find out the answer, but in the interim, we are all talking with each other. We're all reveling in the show. Um, and, you know, good job, CBS All Access, for going uh, going weekly on this. Uh, back to Annie Harrington. 
felt gutted that we got Ichab back just long enough to have him ripped away so violently. I read on the Twitters that the Voyager Ichab actor said vile things concerning Anthony Rapp, and there's speculation yes. that the creative choice is related. Sounds tinfoil hatty to me. Your thoughts? That got a reply from at uh, DS9FBTS, um, who talked, or who said production-wise, it could be that Manu now looks old. Uh, the flashback was just seven years after Voyager's return. Uh, DS9FBTS also included some screenshots from uh, Manu's social media stuff, yeah. one of which, Pete, I'm not comfortable reading, the other of which is, I'm not going to read word for word, but uh, is, let's say, disrespectful to women. So, so definitely some not-so-nice things there. I'm going to say it's a mix of both. Probably um, the story's always got to win out. And then it was only seven years after Voyager had returned makes the most to go with the performer that they did. And I really, you know, the moment I saw the, the longer bridge on the nose there, I'm like, that's each ebb. And it didn't take anybody out of the story. If you knew the character, if you didn't, this is the first Echeb you know. You can go back and watch Voyager. Pete, let's now go to the email inbox. Uh, a great email here from Derg. That's at Markalian Derg on Twitter. He says, hey, Matt and Pete, love listening to guys break it down. My weekly must-listen podcast for both Discovery and Picard. Your knowledge of Trek and enthusiasm make it worth every second. This is a terrific episode, in my opinion. Best since the premiere or even better. It had a throwback to old Trek with the quirky outfits and the away mission on Free Cloud and a nod to Quark and Echeb, along with fantastic, Pete with a PH, <laughs> Picard 7 dialogues. Rafi's B story was well played. Her scene with her son was riveting and gut-wrenching at the same time. Her character growth has been amazing over the last two episodes. I also like the ambiguity on Agnes. I'm not totally sold that she's a traitor in the classic sense. She has knowledge that drives her to do what she did, but I want to find out what it is before I can judge her with certainty. She did seem to regret what she was doing and acted as if she had no choice. While, while it would have been neat to have Brophy reprise his role, I thought John Ailes was great as Maddox. And Seven, what a great actor Ryan is. She stepped into that role as if she never left it and blended the old Seven with the new one perfectly. Uh, looking forward to your take on it. Take care, Derg. And he says, Pete, in a PS, for the record, Derg is the name of the guest character Derg from the forgettable episode of Deep Space Nine, The Passenger. But special to me, nonetheless, because I own the original costume worn by the actor and proudly oh, wow. wore it to a convention already. Ha! Ah! That's really cool. Thank you for the kind words. And yeah, would definitely agree with uh, pretty much everything. Uh, the the Raffi thing, I, I think we've already noted, felt a little tonally off. That's okay. That can happen in an episode, and it can still be uh, well done. Uh, the Gerardi thing, yeah, I mean, that's the, the sizzle to keep us going forward and where we go next week. Pete, let's now raise the banner, raise out the old Federation flag, uh, flapping in the wind to hear from our Admiral, that's right, Admiral Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 1, Episode 5. First off, 
I shortly want to come back to last week's podcast. I really have to compliment you on your opinion. I have some problems with people everywhere on internet that are more or less disappointed about that the Picard we see here is not the Picard we are used to. Some people really want to go back as they knew their old Picard and I think he really has changed. He has experienced all kinds of trauma and this is the old guy we get and that's quite different and I think they do it in a fantastic way and if I see how you evaluate this change in your last podcast I almost fully agree with your opinion so I like that a lot so guys we are on the same track namely the Star Trek You also hear people say, this is not in character for Picard. He wouldn't do this or that. I think we have another guy here. So we can't even anticipate anymore how he would react. And another thing, this is also one of the reasons this changed Picard. Why Raffi had so much problems with him. And when he arrived at her place that she just said, go away. And I even think that this is one of the conditions Sir Patrick had when he took this role back. He just didn't want to portray the same Picard as in seven seasons of The Next Generation. He really wanted to do something different. And perhaps even according to his age and his own life experience, you are different when you're 80 than you're 50. And I even experienced that myself, that I'm quite different now, being almost 60, if I compare that to when I was 40. One other thing I want to come back to is that I made some remarks about Sir Patrick's acting, and I still have sometimes the feeling he's not 100% as he was, but whatever, he's an old guy. I actually thought that is it, he is an old guy. If you look in his face, or in the face of every 80, 90 years old person, you get some neurological innovation, degradation, you get some muscular atrophy, your eyelids are going to hang. So the possibility to show expression is much less when you have an older face. And I think that is partly the reason here. And I did a little experiment. So one of the scenes I thought the acting was not optimal I just replayed that and closed my eyes and only listened, and then it became much better. Okay, not much time left to talk about this episode. It was partly, of course, a fun episode with all the dressing up, etc. It was a very nice episode in the sense of Seven's life story here. I think the acting of Jerry Ryan was very good, much better than I actually anticipated. The story of Raffi with her son was a little bit a trope. There are three more or less major series I watch at the moment. That is Star Trek Picard, and that is uh, Sex Education. And the third one is the YouTube series, which is very nice, Impulse. And they all have this same topic. So a parent, a mother in most cases, that are not doing their job very well. And they try to reconnect to their children. And even Batwoman, which I'm also currently watching, and I'm at episode 6, has more or less the same theme. 
Last topic is, of course, Jurati. Is she influenced somehow by O or what is happening? Why does she do this? Okay, that was all for this time. Greets, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, Fred reminding all of us that Picard can be a different person because he's gotten older in all these years. He's had different life experiences. He's just had a different view of life. Pete, so say we all. And it's natural. Uh, Fred in a better position than most. He's a geneticist to know how this was going to be carried across in terms of humans aging. And I love the experiment that he went through there listening without watching. You know, I think a lot of people have judged this on site and they're not letting the performance take hold. So kudos there. Yeah. And he also noting, as I think all viewers did that seven of nines return. I mean, full return was fantastic. And Jerry Ryan really nails it. I, I give her credit for, uh, stating publicly that it took her a couple takes to kind of get back in the rhythm because I don't think that you see that on the screen. I don't think that I don't think that Jonathan Frakes would have directed anything less than the best performance out of her. I don't think that Star Trek as a production would have allowed anything into the edit that showed anything other than Seven of Nine, you know, albeit these years later. Some additional feedback from uh, Fred Matt that he sent after. He had recorded his feedback. John Ailes, who plays Maddox, we recently saw as Quentin the Great in Runaways. That, of course, Marvel's Runaways, which Fantastic Geek also podcast, like every Marvel Cinematic Universe live action TV show, and uh, finished up after its abridged third season dropped in December. Now, Pete, we get so many emails saying, how can I be like Admiral Fred? How can I earn the six pips on my rank collar there? Pete, got to be in touch with us. Got to talk to us about the shows that we podcast, you know, most immediately Star Trek Picards. Uh, Pete, how can people get in touch with you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E 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 11,182 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a P-H, all one word. Like it today. Pete, those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed know that in a couple of days on Monday, we will be talking the next episode of God Friended Me, that other CBS show. Uh, but if you're here for nonstop Picard, Pete, at the end, the, the farthest reaches of February, next Saturday, February 29th, the leap day, time is a conspiracy. Uh, we'll be talking Picard episode 106 as we start the second half of this series. Also, Pete, set your clocks, okay? next saturday the 29th uh when it turns to march the next day that will be the last month of star trek picard season one airs so we are that close to the end of it all to our own borg existence of having everything taken away from us but in the interim pete we're going to keep smiles on i'm going to say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word it's a free planet <laughs> <laughs>